Welcome to another episode of the Rise Up Country podcast. I'm John Ritter, and over the next few minutes, we're going to be spreading our message of hope and inspiration with one of the legends of country music, Randy Travis. Randy and I had a long conversation a few years back about everything from him washing dishes as a club when he first got started, working out, and the first time he heard the word hooker in the song Three Wooden Crosses. It's actually one of the best conversations I've ever had with any artist. Plus, we're going to be sharing some stories from the real stars of the podcast, people just like you who have called in and shared their stories of hope and inspiration on the Rise Up Country Hope Line. And you can too at 844-717-7774. Today you're going to hear stories from a gentleman who worked out in a barge fell into the icy cold river with no life preserver. Now, how did he get out of it? Who helped? You won't believe this story. And also a gentleman who worked in a penitentiary. He remembered the loss that he had when he was growing up as a kid. He was able to share that story with one of the inmates, and you won't believe how that changed his life. Randy Travis, what a gift to country music. Well, you know the struggles that he's going through today, but when I had that conversation with him way back when, I remember I was so excited to talk to him about songs like Forever and Ever, Amen. He walked on water. I mean, it was just something that made you feel good when you heard a Randy Travis song. When it, really, when it boils down to the success and the longevity of uh, any artist in this business, and the song is what it boils down to. You have to have all these other elements. You have to have the press and good management. Uh, that's very important. You have to have a promotion staff at the label who believes in what you're doing and cares about uh, doing their job. But it really boils down to a great song. And uh, we've always put a lot of stock in that. Kyle and I, when he was producing me for the first 10 years of this career, um, he and I would go through, there's no telling how many tunes for every album, and we always tried to find songs that uh, we truly loved. In other words, we didn't just go say, this sounds like something radio would play. I've never done that, and, and, and never will, actually, because if you're going with your gut instinct, usually you're right, I think. I agree. One of those songs on the album that I love is, uh, let me see, get the right title, The Whole. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> I say that all. I say that all the time to people. I said, "Listen, once you're in a hole, stop digging." Yeah, you know, that's right. Uh, Skip Ewing wrote that, and uh, Allison Brown, who works for James Stroud over over at DreamWorks, of course, um, she she found it, and we were in uh, Georgia. I was working on this movie, Black Dog, and mm -hmm. so we were all sitting there in the hotel and Byron Gallimore, my, my other producer, and my wife lived, and so they played the hole and. Uh, uh, just uh, everybody there that is a hit you know it was just that cut and dried this is a hit let's record it uh -huh. and I, 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 I if you want to call it that if that's not a radio friendly record I don't know one yeah now you know when you were growing up as a kid I read I really love the kind of bio that you have because when you read the bio you actually get to know the person so many bios are sent to me and you read it and it says and they delivered that song with a sultry voice. And you're going, <laughs> who cares, you know? What, what is this person like? But when you were growing up as a kid, were you the guy in the hole? 
Oh, man, I was digging myself deeper and deeper all the time. <laughs> By the time I was 17, I was so far down that uh, I'd hit rock bottom, you know. Oh. Um, and, and there again, if it not, had not been for Lib, my wife, uh, I would have been in prison for five years because I had been locked up for, of course, driving under the influence and because I drank a lot and I used a lot of different kind of drugs. So I was so far out of control uh breaking and entering was the last thing that i was arrested mm-hmm. for but previously you know trying to outrun policemen in a lot of fights and uh tried to steal a van one time uh just all kind of things and uh, the lawyer said son uh uh you've come before this judge before and you've already been on probation for like four years you're looking at five years in prison this time i can't get you out oh, and uh so man. i went in there just pretty much knowing I wasn't going to leave that courthouse that day. And if it weren't for Lib being there and uh, and an, another guy named John Harper, who was a local uh, a Charlotte radio station a disc jockey, you know, a very well-known person there, and, and they were both saying that I was not running with the same crowd. I was working full-time singing in the club, uh, not drinking anymore, not using drugs. I would have been gone. That's the only reason he let me go is because they were there on my behalf and... Uh, he, in fact, he told me that day, if you come before me again, bring your toothbrush. You're staying. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty scary thought. Yeah. Can you believe today where you are? I mean, now you had a little bit of time to relax here and look back on where you came from. Is it absolutely, I mean, are you one blessed guy or what? Oh, man, I'm so fortunate. It's unbelievable. Uh, as a kid, I, I was I was one of those guys who never gave any thought to the future, Huh. No thought to what I would do for a living when I when I was grown. Um, it was nothing but, you know, I'll, I'll do a little work here to make some money so I can go party some more. That was yeah. what my life consisted of. And uh, then in meeting Lib, we, uh, she talked to me one night when I was singing in the club and asked if I'd ever considered making a career of music. And at that point, I said, well, no, not really. <laughs> You know, it was just something I did to make some money or something I did because my dad told me to because he had such a love for music. He had us, my brother and myself, and then all my other brothers and sisters. There were six of us. He had us all playing instruments. And uh, Ricky and I were working before audiences when I was eight and nine, and he was nine and ten years old. We got a really early start. Mm-hmm. Um so at 17, I began to take this very seriously and start pursuing a career. But uh, and, I, and I always thought that I could make a living as a writer and a singer, you know, uh, and I, that, that's all I wanted. But it's, it went so far beyond what I ever expected. Well, I guess that's a perfect segue into another song, Stranger in the Mirror. I guess when you look in that mirror, you're going, gosh, I can't believe that kid got to do all this stuff. <laughs> Again, a Skip Ewing song. Oh, this guy's on such a roll, it's unbelievable for the last couple of years. And I've had great success with tunes that are a little off the wall. You mm-hmm. know, when you look at Digging Up Bones and If mm-hmm. I Didn't Have You, if I didn't ha- or not If I Didn't Have You, but uh, Is It Still Over? I don't know. Those, those uh, always seem to attract me some kind of song that's kind of off the wall lyrically and, and who's a fun looking melody. back at me it's fun it is it's a lot of fun and um in fact a lot of people have uh, responded to that song real positively uh, some guys at radio saying don't overlook that that might be a, a hit mm-hmm. and, and and they may be right i loved it when i first heard it and uh, in the studio had such a great time putting it down it's one of those songs you really enjoy uh, right. singing and, and the band just 
loves to play it because it has that feel that, that, that everybody enjoys. In your career, you know, you had just, I mean, it just took off. I remember it was it was it was almost like I was out of breath for you when you first came in. It was like he's here, he's there. It was like Mighty Mouse. He's everywhere, you know. Da 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 da. He's on TV. That career just took off and just kept platinum, you know. Then then ten triple platinums or whatever just kept going and going. Were you ever that guy when all of a sudden you looked in the mirror? It sped up so fast that you all of a sudden saw the, the thing that everybody, the image that everybody had of Randy Travis rather than, wait a second, slow down here. You know what? The first three years of this career, um, of course, the first single didn't work. I, and you may know this, you may not, but the first single we released was on the other hand and it failed. Mm -hmm. You know, and then we released 1982 and it was a big record for us. And then on the other hand went, we released it again. It was a number one record, nominated oh, for Song of the Year. Oh, I didn't know you released it twice. Yeah, twice, because we believed in it so much. And, that took uh, a lot of guts. Yeah, I, I guess. I yeah, guess it did. Um, uh, but it, it went out the second time, went to number one, and from that point on, actually, we were still working at the Nashville Palace here in town. I was cooking, washing dishes, singing part-time, and Lib was managing the place. And at that point, uh, we were getting, well, before that, we were playing weekend shows, so mm -hmm. it was no trouble. We'd go back to the palace and go to work during the week and right. go out and play a Friday, Saturday show. And uh, then more and more dates started coming in for these clubs, and we said, we can't keep doing this. We've got to make a choice here. And we finally did. <laughs> Wait a second. Washing dishes or going well, out on the road? Washing, you know, is that really a choice? It, no. <laughs> and, you know, looking back, no. But at that time... The palace was a check that was there every week. Right, this right. music business mm -hmm. could stop next week also. Good so point. you think, what do we do? And, and anyway, we 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 quit the palace and started working. And from that point on, I, I, but be honest with you, it went so fast. We played two hundred show days that year and uh, two shows on most all the days. And then we're trying to record the next album, doing all the interviews. Um, it was going so fast, I really never had any time to sit back and think, hey, look at this. Look what's happening. Uh, it was like for about three years, I had, I lost any kind of life except let's do this job, then we have to drive here, do this job. And that was pretty much all there was. You were just in the race. I'm not complaining by any means. I, right. You know, it was just like running a nonstop race. And, and there was no time to really sit and think about what was going on. Yeah, like I say, I was out of breath for you. <laughs> I was out of breath a lot of times myself. <laughs> I was doing shows some nights and had no voice to speak, much less sing. Yeah, yeah. I bet. Because you can't, I mean, I had a lot of training beforehand. A lot of these people coming into the business over the last few years have had a lot of voice problems. Mm -hmm. And uh, in their case it's because a lot of them haven't had the years of training before that I had in singing in the clubs for so many years. But even so, I, I, I had all that behind me and a lot of, uh, a lot of experience, but still I was, it was going on me. Well, so a lot of it was allergies, but still just overwork takes its toll after mm -hmm. a while. I tell people all the time, I said, and listen, they come out of a concert and they'll go, man, he was on stage for an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. I go, you know, I grew up playing in clubs at yeah. six hours a night, <laughs> That's right. six days a week. Don't look at me and brag on somebody being on stage for an hour and a half. That's right. That's that's nothing. <laughs> I'm the same way. I, you know, from the time I was 14 years old, I've been playing nightclubs. 
and uh, you go in, and those shows start at 8, 9 o'clock, depending on the place, and sometimes they go to 2 and 3 in the morning. Yeah. And you play 45, you break 15, and that's right. the way it was. And, and you that did guy's it. looking at the clock. That's right, and you did it six nights a week. And if there was an air intake in any club, it was always above where the band played. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to where you just see all the smoke rolling You're in. You're rolling going. right back at you. You're right. And it... Oh, man, just the smoke itself. It's amazing that all these guys in these clubs have voices to be able to do that because you're inhaling. Can you imagine how much secondhand smoke you're getting as a singer? Because you're breathing five times more than any person sitting in that club other than the dancers, I guess. Um, but you're really taking in some air when you're singing during the course of a night, and you're taking in a lot of smoke. Irony is I used to uh, play a lot of the casinos and sing in them. Well, they mm -hmm. always had gyms. I'd get there early, <laughs> go work out, right, to help my breathing, and then walk up on stage and look at all the smoke rolling, and it's like, how do you get away from this? Yeah, you can't. But you were really, you were offsetting that with the exercise, which is good, so, cause, so you're forcing a lot of that old smoke out of your lungs while you're doing the, uh, the strenuous training. And then, you know, I've noticed um, in training hard, you sing better. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, because mm -hmm. you have more air. Your lungs, uh, most people are shallow breathers. I mean, that's just a scientific fact. We only use about a third of our lung capacity. And uh, someone who trains has more oxygen intake. You have more expansion in the lungs, so it's easier to sing. You and I talked about this before, being out on the bus and just being cramped with all these people and all these stresses and stuff. And you said if you didn't stay in the Bible and keep reading that, that you could still, you know, kind of blow up and get angry. But that's part of it. I still have to work on keeping control of the temper. I, uh, that, that, I mean, I've got away from all the other stuff, um, the, the drugs, the alcohol was no trouble to stop mm -hmm. all of that and make all kind of changes in my life, but the, the temper is still there, and I really have to work on keeping control of that. And I do a pretty good job. I seldom let it get the best of me mm -hmm. anymore. Uh, as I've aged, I've mellowed quite a bit, no doubt. Um, but I think for myself, and I think uh, you, you'll hear the same from a lot of different people who uh, try and live as a Christian and who do believe uh, strongly in reading the Bible and, and going to church, and which I can't, of course, make church every Sunday because I'm Wherever. I seem to be, you know, there's no telling where I am a lot of weeks or where mm -hmm. I'll be. But anyway, and then plus if you're working on a film, they make you work on a lot of Sundays. So mm -hmm. you unfortunately can't be there every Sunday. But um, I still am one of those who do uh, read the Bible just about every night. You know, that's a good way for me to go to sleep. Yeah. Now, you know, it seems like we always get back to this subject, but I think it's a love of both of ours or with the anger working out. Don't you find oh, yeah. if you can do that every other day or whatever, you you just feel, I don't know, how do you feel? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a great release for frustrations. And uh, a lot of, well, you know, a lot of times you're uh, in places and, uh, well, like we're doing now, you're sitting all day, you're doing interviews, and you get a lot of energy inside and you want mm -hmm. to do something. And going to the gym is a good way to get rid of that. And you just feel so much better. You sleep better at night. Um, you wake up earlier. You do, and and for me, uh, another thing I do as well as lifting is the cardiovascular side mm -hmm. of things, and I, I love 
Uh, I love boxing. I've always enjoyed watching mm. boxing and fought a lot as a kid. Unfortunately, <laughs> I lost a lot as a kid too. But I still loved. I still love that. I trained in martial arts for years, and I, I, when it's available, I love working out on a, the heavy bags, the speed bags, yeah. and um, some kicks and punches. I, I did jujitsu for a few years, and if, if I have someone who uh, wants to train, who knows how to do that, then we'll hit the f- the mats and wrestle for a while. That's uh-huh. always a great release. Also, not hurt, trying to hurt anybody. Right. It's just uh, training. And don't you find too that you can go to the gym angry, you can be a little uptight, but after about that first thirty minutes, if you're hitting it hard, you might as well forget about it because you can't oh, yeah. think of anything else. It's just you and the weights. That's right. That's right. It it gets it out of your system. It really does because. When you train, uh, and when I do, and I think everybody should do this, uh, when you go into the gym, if you're serious about staying in shape, there shouldn't be anything else in your mind. You should be thinking about, okay, I'm doing this now. I'm going to do whatever, this many reps, if you're counting reps, Mm -hmm. using this weight for this movement. Uh, Only rest, for me, I only rest 15 to 30 seconds between each set, you know, so I like to keep the cardiovascular up. So do do I, and I've read differently. I've read that you're supposed to, and I don't. I do the same thing. I don't want to wait for a minute or two minutes in between. Well, no, it's a different type of training. You know, power lifters will rest sometimes three, sometimes five minutes between a set, Mm. but they're lifting extremely heavy, extremely heavy. I used to work out in a place called Armo's Body Shop here in Nashville. And uh, I'd watch a lot of the, there were, uh, I don't know, probably a dozen power lifters training there. And there was a guy named Chuck Braxton, actually, who was a competitive lifter. And when he was about 50, the guy was bench pressing still, 50 uh, or 500 pounds. 500 uh, pounds. Yeah, deadlifting 1,000 and squatting with 860. I'd be dead. And, uh, and no injuries. The man was amazing. He w- but there again, he would do a set and he would rest three to five minutes. Mm-hmm. and then go back and do another heavy set. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a different mentality. I, I don't care to train that way. I've given up on heavy weights. I just say, <laughs> I, I don't even want to do it anymore. Too many injuries. Yeah. I'm not, most of those guys are really large bone people, you know. We, See, we you, are more fine to medium bone, and we're just not built for power I think lifting. my wrists are going to break. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll find me with this bar across my chest in the morning, you know. Yeah, that's true, too. Uh, funny story. I was at the ha- I was at the house training. We were we were remodeling the house out in Ashland City, and this young kid was working on the uh, crew. And I had uh, two hundred pounds on the bar, and I at that point I was doing uh, what's called pyramiding. You know, do you do mm-hmm. like for instance a set of eight reps with so much weight, put more weight on, set of six more weight, set of four more weight, set mm-hmm. of two, set of one. And and that was your routine for chest, a lower chest. And anyway, my last set was with 200, and I apparently didn't rest enough in between. And I told this kid, I, I want you to just stand here, and if I can't get this off of me, I want you to help me lift it up, put it back on the rack. So I lifted it off, and I, there I sat with 200 pounds on my chest, and I can't get it. He's standing there. I said, you can help me now. And... Uh, the kid grabs one side of the bar. Oh. One side of the bar. Luckily, 
the pla- the, the, the collars were not on the end oh, of the good. bar, so it slid off. He lifts one side. I said, wait, 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 wait. And then now the weight slid off that side, and then the other side hit the floor. I said, thank you for the help. Yeah. <laughs> and he walked out. Yeah. He liked to kill me. That's good. Listen, I'm going to come back to Randy in just a few minutes and wait until you hear his reaction the first time he heard the song, Three Wooden Crosses. Maybe his story inspired you to share one with us. You can on a Rise Up Country Hope line at 844-717-7774. Or if you want to make a comment on our Facebook page, just go to Rise Up Country or follow us on Instagram at Rise Up Country. Now let's go to the stars of the Rise Up Country podcast, listeners who called in and shared their stories of hope and inspiration, just like this one. Oh, I guess it was about 18 years ago, the job that I'd had, I'd got my wife's cousin a job, and he was bad about calling in. So on my birthday, I decided to take off, and he called and said, you know, I'm not going to make it today. Hmm. And it was about, I think the wind chill was like 10 below, me working out on the river, and I thought, well, I'll just go ahead and go in and work for him. So about 5 o'clock that morning... We were out there, and we had an accident, and two of us went in the river. And that one morning, we had so many clothes on trying to stay warm, I didn't have a life jacket on. So I went down, you know, and didn't think I was going to make it back. So to make a long story short, another fellow come out there and looked and seen that we were both gone, and one of us made it and one of us didn't. The one that made it was me, and... Didn't hmm. think the other guy did, but he actually got on the side and pulled himself up. And, you know, the, the fella come out there and got me. And I told him, I said, you know, we need to call 911. That's the first thing you need to do. And he got me up on the boat, and I just kind of froze to the deck of it. And got me over to the bank. The ambulance has come, picked me up, took me to the hospital, and got me all going again. And, you know, and I, I thank God every day. And the... The main thing about it was me and my wife had been trying for 10 years to have a child. Well, you know, he saved me that day and come back and two or three weeks later, and there she was pregnant. So, <laughs> you know, I really thank him every day for what he's done for me. Wow. Oh, my gosh. What a tragedy. And all those clothes piled with that water. I mean, you were like a bag of potatoes, weren't you? Yeah, it was, you know, it was. You know, I, when the boat got close to me, I, I kept going under and coming back up. Hmm. You know, and there, there was no way I could have made it. And my temperature in the ambulance, they said it was like 68 degrees. Wow. Now, what, and, what kind of job did you have that you were around the river? Oh, uh, we were running a sand dredge. Okay. And a piece of equipment that they were working on that morning or that night before, what their job was that morning was hanging there on some wires, and then it just broke and it fell, and I was underneath it, and it just took us straight to the bottom. Mm-hmm. When you were sitting there bobbing in the water, I mean, did did God play a part? Were you going through that in your mind? Were you asking God for help, and how did something like that change a guy like you? I'll tell you what, it was like he was underneath me, and, and every time I'd go under and look up to the water, and I'd see that boat, and I thought, you know, there's, there's no way I'm going to make it. And, huh. and, you know, and he just pulled me right through it. And I mean, and, you know, when 
I was on the boat, the, the fellow got me up on the back of the boat. And the, the whole mega story short is the guy got on the boat and he didn't have his life jacket on. Oh. And then, you know, when he, when he got out there to me, we had nothing on the boat to throw to me that I could grab a hold of to help myself float. Oh, man. So he, he had to literally just run right up on top of me. And then when I grabbed the side of the boat, you know, he reached over the side and then pulled me up on top of it. Which ain't a very easy thing to do. No, and then when he got me up there, he took off across the river four or five miles and running 40, 50 mile an hour, and I froze to the back of the boat back there. Jeez. And, you know, and to this day on my birthday, which he's retired now, on my birthday every year, I always call him and thank him. Hmm. He said, you know, you you don't have to thank me. He said, I. He said, you saved yourself. Hmm. And he said, I, I'll tell you something. He said, what well, goes through my mind when I think about it, he said, there was two of y'all out there, and I was debating, you know, who would I save first? And, you know, do I grab this one or do I grab that one? Or, you know, how's it all going to work? Hmm. And then, you know, thank God the other guy had made it up and nobody knew it. He got back on the piece of equipment and climbed the safety. So, wow. He didn't have to make that call. So. Wow, that's a tough one. Hey, thank you so much, man. I will talk to you later. Yes, sir. Thank you. Bye. If you don't believe in guardian angels, you should now, shouldn't you? If you've got a story to share, you can give us a call on our Hope Line at 844-717-7774. Here's another one of those calls we got where it really tells you that God can use anyone to accomplish the impossible. And I also believe that if we've experienced something in life, we need to be able to take that experience, good or bad, to help others. Back in 97... I lost a little brother. He drowned in the pond. Well, I'm a corrections officer now. Here recently, one of the inmates that I work with got a telephone call that his brother had drowned. He uh, come to us and told us that, you know, he wanted to commit suicide. And when I looked at him, I saw the same face that I seen, felt the same way that he did because I'd been through it. I talked to him for almost two or three hours. He looked at me and big tear welled up eyes and jumped up and gave me a hug. And this is a guy who has killed people. He's murdered people. He's dealt drugs. He's done drugs. He was released about two weeks ago and actually came back up there to see us. He's got his family back. He's got his kids back. He's staying out of trouble and everything's going well for him. He came up to me and hugged my neck, and he said, I appreciate it. Because he said, if it wasn't because of you talking to me, I would have killed myself as soon as I got out of jail. And I, I attribute it, you know, to, you know, God put us in the right place at the right time. He sure did. I'm so glad you have God in your heart, because something like that is just absolutely unbearable to carry on your own. Hey, listen, I will talk to you later, and be safe, because you've, uh, you've got a tough job. It is, but I got somebody watching over me, so. Absolutely. All right, man. I will talk to you later. Good job. All right. I appreciate it, man. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, I promised you I'd replay that conversation I have with Randy Travis. The first time he heard the song, Three Wooden Crosses, he was working out in his gym. This one came on in the first line, a farmer, teacher, a hooker, and a preacher. And I thought, that can't be a gospel song, surely. But it finished, 
I knew I liked the melody, uh, What You Leave Behind. I got that part of it. But at the end of the song, I thought, what the heck just happened? Yeah, so anyway, I had to go back. I had to listen to it again, probably like a lot of people, to get all the storyline. And, and, and I fell in love with it. I was just totally amazed. When you think about a song being a three-minute story, at how many twists and turns, how many characters are, in, are involved in this story. It, it's a brilliant piece of writing. I wanted to record it from the, I should say from the first listen, but from the second listen once I knew the story. Thank you for allowing me to play that conversation I had with Randy Travis. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Keep Randy and his family in your prayers. I'm sure you're aware of the struggles he's going through today. Maybe his story inspired you to give us a call. Well, you can on the Rise Up Country Hope Line at 844-717-7774. Or if you want to make a comment, go to our Facebook page at Rise Up Country or follow us on Instagram at Rise Up Country. Until next time, remember, don't give up, just rise up.